0: Hello there, KZMC. I am thrilled to once again have this opportunity to share the message with you. As you noticed, um, I am sitting on a stool now. (laughs) I I watched back the video from last week and noticed I was rocking back and forth the entire time. Uh, I am a person that, when given the opportunity, uh, will often, you know, kind of wander the stage of the congregation that I'm at. Uh, I am on a platform that is four by four, and uh, so, anyway, this feels much more comfortable, and uh, hopefully, it'll be less distracting uh, for you as I don't rock back and forth. I want to say uh, just what an incredible privilege it was to worship with you last Sunday. Uh, or sorry, two Sundays ago, um, and uh, having an opportunity to meet a number of you specifically on the Sunday evening. Uh, really enjoyed that time together and gave me uh, just a, a real uh, glimpse into your congregation and, uh, you know, your congregation, just wonderful, wonderful people. And uh, so it's, it's an absolute thrill and an honor to uh, share with you once again. Uh, I wanted to uh, start off by saying, uh, and, 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 and having you reflect on this, what is one of the most challenging things that you have ever uh, done or or attempted? <laughs> and I know for myself, as I reflected on that question, uh, I, I was leading a small group a couple of weeks back, and we had that as a question, and I would say for myself, one of the most challenging things I've ever taken on uh, was to run a marathon, um, but then also, uh, you know, to run uh, the Boston Marathon, which I shared about in my int- introduction, and today I'm going to incorporate uh, some of that into uh, this message. Um, I know for myself, the moment that I had this seed of, or, or an idea to run the Boston Marathon happened in 1996. Uh, I uh, subscribed to uh, the magazine Runner's World, and in it, uh, in 1996, they had the 100th anniversary coverage of the Boston Marathon. And as I read the pages and and learned that 36,000 people had run it, uh, in that moment, I was like, I have to do that someday. (laughs) And uh, so then, uh, in 1999, I ran my first marathon in London. Uh, and uh, it was it was a disaster. I started off way too fast, and these are things that Marathoners will describe uh, if you properly taper which means you pull back your mileage in advance of the race You feel fantastic that day, and so I pushed way too hard and as a result blew up at the end um, So that was a disaster, and I tried four other times and finally in uh, November of 2011 I was successful in getting the qualifying time that I needed. And uh, I just remember being so excited about that. Uh, you know, that represented many years of hard work, 12 years up to that point. And, um, you know, again, a lot of 4.30, you know, in the morning, uh, three-hour runs, um, you know, when everyone else is comfortable in their bed <laughs> training. And um, so that was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. But uh, the event I want to specifically talk about uh, happened on uh, April uh, the 15th of 2013, and uh, at 2.49 that afternoon, some of you may be aware of the events that uh, took place. I'm, I'm assuming most of you would be aware, and uh, so anyway, I want to give you, um, you know, a bit of uh, insight into my experience that day, uh, one that changed many people's lives uh, very, very dramatically, um, and uh, was, was quite an experience for myself as well. Um, Uh, At that point, uh, I had uh, three daughters who, uh, so that would have been, I didn't do the math beforehand. I believe that they were 8, 10, and 12. Um, And uh, so my wife and three daughters, uh, we traveled to Boston on the Saturday before. So on Patriots Day, which is on the Monday, uh, that was when the race would be run. And uh, so we arrived uh, late on Saturday and attended the Runners Expo. Uh, which was just this massive event. I'd never been to anything like it before. They were handing out all kinds of free samples. Um, They had activities for children. Um, You were able to make up signs like this one that my family made, um, you know, just to be able to cheer me on uh, as they would meet me at one point on the marathon uh, course. And uh, so that was a wonderful experience. On the Sunday, uh, we had planned beforehand to have it fairly relaxed to keep me off of my feet. You want to be as uh, you know rested as possible on the day of a marathon. Um, and then uh, so we went on Sunday night to Hopkinton. That is the city, uh, small town, I guess, uh, where the race starts and uh, we ate at a nice little pizza place that evening and uh, went to where the start was going to be and uh, familiarized myself with the site just to make things uh less challenging to navigate uh, the morning of the marathon so i woke up on that monday morning and it was gorgeous it was like you know exactly what a person would long for the last thing you want in running a marathon is rain Uh, that is when you start having blister issues all kinds of issues that you'd be working with so it was a perfect morning Perfect forecast. It was around uh, nine degrees Celsius, which was absolutely ideal. And so my wife and I, um, we uh, we we went there. I left. We left the children back at the hotel together, and um, and so my wife uh, dropped me off, and then she went back with them. And uh, it was just uh, an amazing experience. Just uh, you know, there was twenty-seven thousand people uh, who were preparing to run that race. Uh, at around, uh, I believe it was eight thirty, nine o'clock, the elite runners uh, left uh, the start line and I was, you know, only probably about 50 meters away from them. And again, these runners are real runners. <laughs> They're able to run, the, you know, in just over two hours where I was hoping to maybe run three hours 15. It gives you a bit of an idea just how fast uh, they are. And uh, so finally, at 10:20, it was time for uh, the race to begin. For me, I was part of the second wave. I was seated, I think, 6,290-ish or so, and uh, and so it took four minutes just to even get to the start line, <laughs> to have it register your chip. And uh, I just remember, uh, you know, in the first uh, mile alone, it drops 130 feet. And so, uh, you know, it's known and that that marathon is known for the the first number of miles uh, slightly downhill, um, which feels amazing. Uh, You already have adrenaline pumping in your veins as you're surrounded by all these other runners. And again, for me, this was a, you know, fulfillment of a dream. And uh, so that first you know 10, 12 miles fa- felt fantastic. I was ahead of the time that I wanted to run. Um, but again, I hadn't run Boston before, and I didn't realize that later on, going out too quick uh, with that downhill was going to cost me, and it was going to make my, my legs feel pretty heavy later on. But, uh, you know, you have this experience, and and one of the parts that was amazing also was that the entire uh, course, the full 42.2 kilometers, uh, you had fans on both sides uh, cheering with noisemakers, and it was just incredible. Like, uh, there's no experience in terms of a crowd that I've ever, you know, had that, that would be anywhere close to that. But uh, I remember uh, starting around mile 16, I knew there was hills. I knew that mile 22, they have what they call Heartbreak Hill. So I had prepared myself mentally for that. Beforehand, I had done hill work to try to prepare myself. Um, And I remember getting to one of the first hills and looking to another runner and saying, hey, that was Heartbreak Hill, right? He said, no, it's coming up. The last thing you want to hear in a moment like that. And uh, so anyway, uh, you know, continued moving forward. But it was around this time, at around mile uh, 20, where I started to feel the heaviness in my legs. I started to realize, which I'd experienced before, that I'd gone out too quickly in my anticipation and because of adrenaline, and now I was going to have to pay for it. Lactic acid was building up in my legs, which gives you a feeling that your legs are like pillars, <laughs> which isn't good. You don't want that when you're running a marathon. I remember distinctly uh, at, at around that point, and I think it was just after um, Heartbreak Hill, there was actually a restaurant that was offering to give a free meal to anyone who would quit the race at that time. Now you might think this is ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. But when you get into that stage of the race where you are feeling so tired and so exhausted, you actually uh, like I remember there was a part of me that kind of debated it. Right? It's like I could get a free meal right now. The pain would end. Why don't I? Right? And so to me that is actually really cruel (laughs) to offer something like that at a time when people you know are are you know susceptible uh, to that sort of thing. And I'm going to you know talk about that again. Uh, a little bit later on, but I remember uh, when I finally, uh, you know, crested Heartbreak Hill, and it was heartbreak. It was painful. It was about a half a mile long, uh, where you're just a, a constant up uh, uphill. Uh, But the thing that stood out for me was the number of people who were handing me, you know, energy gels and uh, were handing me Gatorade and banana pieces and popsicles and little children, you know, holding out their hands so that you could high five them. People calling out your name because your name was on your bib, um, you know, just supporting you. It was incredible. And in that time where it was so difficult to continue, everything in me wanted to stop, everything in me wanted to quit. They helped to carry me towards the finish. The reality was is I didn't want to quit. Um, you know, I wanted to be successful and complete what I had started, even if it meant that I was running uh, much poorly, uh, much more poorly than what I had hoped going into that race. And I remember um, you know, just being so encouraged uh, by people, and again, my family was holding this on. I actually didn't have the opportunity to see them. I missed them because uh, the crowds are just so large. Um, but, uh, as I, as I thought about this, and, you know, at that time, and even after the race, I was uh, reminded of the scripture that we find in Hebrews 12. So I'm going to ask you, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn with me to this scripture, because this scripture came alive to me in that moment. It was like I was experiencing what this scripture spoke of. And in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, it says this, therefore, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As I approached the finish line, I was weary. (laughs) There were moments where I was like, am I going to make it how much further, I remember a race that I had done uh, several years uh, before that, where I had asked a person, it was a brand new course, I had never been on it before, and I asked this person as I was running by, because again, I had started off too quickly, so there's a, there's a bit of a trend, <laughs> and I asked them, how much further until this park, because I knew that's where it ended, and they said, oh, oh, you've got a long way to go. You know those words? Pretty much crushed You know me in that moment because I was so struggling and so hurting. I learned later on that it was only about two and a half kilometers. The difference between them saying it's a long way yet and them saying you know it's about two two and a half kilometers was like (laughs) detrimental to that run that day. So in those last moments, as I'm getting towards the finish, I'm recognizing landmarks. You're, 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 you're seeing Fenway Park, which you know you have to run past. They, they have a ball game going on. You hear the noise, the commotion. The crowds are getting thicker. You turn onto Boylston Street, and now you can see that finish line that's been draped across the street. All those things help to propel you forward. And I remember the moment when I crossed that finish line. Right As I had shared, from 1996 to now 2013, that seed had been planted in my heart and in my mind, and in that moment, I had accomplished what I had set out to do, and I actually brought the the medal with me, and so this medal was draped around my neck. And I remember in that moment, just like being so elated, you know, having uh, been successful in accomplishing something that I had put so much energy, so much work into. And in that moment, I thought of, you know, when my life is over, right? Wanting, desiring for Jesus to pick me up off my face because when I'm in his glory, that'll be my only response. But to have him pick me up and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that was just such an incredible experience to have them give that medal and uh, to, to, uh, to finish that, uh, that course. Now why share this message? I had shared even with you a couple of weeks back as I shared some of my own personal story of this incredible encounter with Jesus. It has been so strong upon my heart to share a message of encouragement I believe that there are some, and especially in this day and age, you know, in working in ministry, I am coming across so many people who have really uh, struggled and been discouraged in this time of COVID-19, whether it's, you know, being uh, housebound, not being able to see family members, losing jobs, having a number of uh, various things that they've had to work with, fear for loved ones who are on the front line, all these different things have been shared with me. So I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that some individuals individuals are struggling in this time and would need encouragement. But God has placed it so strongly on my heart to share a message of encouragement with you in this time. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because this past March, as I learned that the school was going to be shut down for an additional two weeks after March break, I struggled with that news. I remember the Thursday and Friday before March break, I was so sad. It was the best way to describe. I'm a relational person, and I love my job. I love the kids at that school. I love the staff that I work with. And to me, to think of having three weeks away from that was so disheartening. And now look at us now, right? What, 13 weeks later? Um, But I remember being so disappointed. And even before this happened, I had planned on the Friday of March break to have a retreat I was tired, right? Ministry requires a lot of energy. (laughs) And mind you, I'm not complaining. I love what I do. But I had just come to this place where I was tired. And so I would planned that on the Friday of March break, I was going to have a retreat. On that Friday, a number of things came up for me, and so I recognized that I was going to need to reschedule. So the Monday following March break, the first day I was going to be back at school, I was lamenting the fact that I was not at track practice like I had planned. The first practice of the year happens after March break. Um, You know, a number of things, and I was so discouraged and so disappointed, and I remember coming into this retreat and saying to God, it was like, God... Please, I just need a fresh drink of water. God, I need a breath from heaven. This is such a difficult time for me, God. I can't imagine continuing in this pattern, uh, not being able to serve these people and walk, you know, and, and meet with them face to face. And so I went into my room and I closed the door. It was one of the quieter places in my home as we were all isolating there together as a family. And there were two specific books on my shelf that I I really sensed that God was drawing me towards. And one was uh, Surviving Your Wilderness by Daniel Kalenda. And another one was Life Lessons with Max Lucado Lucado, uh, on the book of James. And uh, so I sat down with those books and, uh, and just after saying, God, I just, I want to meet with you. I, I just need to be encouraged and refreshed in this time. Uh, it was interesting how God led that time. And I'm going to share what I, what I discovered and how God spoke so clearly to me. First of all, uh, the first part was found in James 1. And so in verse 2, it says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and uh, complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. And again, uh, I wanted to focus specifically on that portion. And it was interesting because they had uh, inspiration that was written in response to that portion of scripture. And this is what it said. When a potter bakes a pot, he checks its solidity by pulling it out of the oven and thumping it. If it sings, and that's in quotation marks, it is ready. If it thuds, again in quotation marks, it is placed back in the oven. The character of a person is also checked by thumping. Have you been thumped lately? Late night phone calls, grouchy teacher, grumpy mom, burnt meal, flat tires, you've got to be kidding deadlines. Those are thumps. Thumps are those irritating inconveniences that trigger the worst in us. They catch us off guard, flat-footed. They aren't big enough to be crises, but if you get enough of them, watch out. Traffic jams, long lines, empty mailboxes, dirty clothes on the floor, thump, thump, thump. How do I respond? Do I sing or do I thud? Jesus said that out of the nature of the heart of a man, uh, sorry, out of the nature of the heart, a man speaks from Luke 6:45. There's nothing like a good thump to reveal the nature of a heart. The true character of a person is seen not in momentary heroics, but in the thump packed humdrum of day to day living. And as I read that, I already began to sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me. See, I had gone through a season where I was working with individuals and had loved ones in my life that were going through difficult times. I'm the kind of person that feels very deeply for individuals. I believe that's the way that God's wired me as, you know, someone who has, uh, you know, pastoral calling and gifting. I care deeply for the people I minister to. So therefore, when things are difficult for those I care about and I'm not necessarily seeing results, I find that I can start to carry that. And so in that moment, that spoke so clearly to me. That, you know, I was starting to kind of thud, (laughs) that I was, uh, you know, forgetting to praise the Lord and rejoice in the Lord, right? We're not rejoicing in the circumstances, we're rejoicing in the Lord because we know that he goes with us. He never leaves, he never forsakes, he works all things together for our good. So that was the first thing that God began to speak into my heart. And so then I opened up this little book, Surviving Your Wilderness. I had read it the summer before when I was in Fair Havens. Fair Havens for me at that youth camp is uh, just an incredibly positive time. Uh, I I always come out of it just, just so excited and enthusiastic for the work that God is doing. So I read it in that season. Now I'm reading it where I've come into a time of being kind of discouraged. And this was the second paragraph I read. Maybe you are passing through a difficult season in your life. Perhaps you feel spiritually dry and alone. You might feel as though your prayers are not being heard, and you wonder if God even knows where you are. You are not alone. He goes on to uh, speak in this book, and, and for surviving a wilderness, he, uh, he has a number of different points that he makes, uh, you know, and he, he uses the practical example of someone being lost, and what they would go about doing to uh, survive that experience. And so, um, he says, upon entering a spiritual wilderness, your, our tendency is often to let our imagination run wild. Will I ever make it out? Why is this happening to me? I don't feel ready for this. Does God not realize what I'm going through? Is he angry with me? Is he judging me? Is he even real? Though it's natural to ask questions like these, obsessing over them depletes our resolve to believe God. And since these questions relate to the very nature of God, their responses must be biblically sound. That's why our study begins here. In the wilderness, perspective is everything. So if you find yourself in a wilderness, don't panic. Take a deep breath. Take a moment to remind yourself who God is, who you are in Christ, and what the Bible says about his faithfulness and love for you. He'll... Um, uh, And it talks about, you know, the enemy, right? Where he will, uh, you know, so fear makes you susceptible to lies from the enemy. Sorry, I lost my place there. He will lie about God's faithfulness and love for you. He'll even lie about God's existence or about how valuable you are to him. Such lies are meant to sap you of spiritual stamina. Again, going back to the illustration of a marathon, those last miles take so much stamina. You have to focus and you have to think of just one step at a time. Even in those moments where it's like, will I ever finish? Uh, You know, am I going to make it? (laughs) Those kind of things. It is so wonderful to have that great cloud of witnesses that surround you and encourage your forward progress. For God's children in the wilderness, the will to live does not merely refer, refer sorry, to a desire to survive. He talks about, it's, the, it's often the people who have the greatest will to survive who are the people who are successful in, in surviving. It's not necessarily the most gifted or talented or experienced. It's the ones with the greatest will to survive. It says... Um, It refers rather to an earnest determination to believe God. During spiritual drought, you must determine, sometimes against all circumstances, emotions, and even the advice of friends, that God is real, that he is good, that he is faithful, and that you will make it through to the other side with him. Don't let the enemy or circumstances define who God is for you. Refuse to allow yourself to believe anything but God's word resolve as David did during a spiritual desert my heart is steadfast oh God my heart is steadfast now one of the more significant things is found now in this next chapter it says one of the most important things you can understand is that even when it seems like everything around you is spinning out of control has that not been how this last part has felt for many of us That if you are a child of God, there is nothing that touches your life that is not ultimately under God's supervision. Everything in your life is somehow father-filtered. He loves you dearly and deeply. He's watching over you and won't allow anything to separate you from him. And this scripture that we're familiar with, Romans 8:38 to 39, I have read it countless times before, but at this time as I read through, there were two words that stood out for me, that God spoke to me that completely revolutionized my experience of this COVID self-isolation time. And it says this, "...for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future..." nor any powers, and it goes on from there, but I want to stop there for a moment. As I read, neither the present. What was my present? My present was that I was not at W.O. like I anticipated. My present was that I was not able to coach track and field that day. My present was not being sure what was happening and what was going to be next, how ministry was going to look. And then it goes on to say, you know, as it says, neither the present nor the future. I found that I had to live one day at a time. The moments that I started to look into the future and think, how long will this last? Will I be able to survive this? Those were the days where I struggled to be in a positive frame of mind. But when I took each day, and I think of that scripture, right? Where we're told, and in, in part of the Lord's Prayer, he gives us each day our daily bread. He gives what's required for the challenges of this day. Those two things spoke so clearly into my heart. And so from that, it was a matter of, again, looking for those things to be thankful for. So that I would sing as I'm in the fire, that I would sing, that I wouldn't thud, that it wouldn't be a matter of looking at all the things that I didn't have, but instead look at the many blessings that God uh, has brought to our lives. I want to uh, finish. I've had times before where I've shared my Boston story and neglected to uh, give the finish, because obviously people want to know that part. So today, I have remembered to share that with you. So I finished just before 2 o'clock uh, in the afternoon that day. Generally, when I finish a race, I stick around. I eat as much food as I possibly can. I really like to eat. I've often joked that my motto is eat to run, run to eat. Um, but uh, that day in particular, I had this compulsion to uh, eat a couple things quickly and then to get out of there. And to, I wanted to be back with my family. And so I remember I was pushing past people, right? As, again, you've got thousands of people who are finishing this race, and I was pushing past so I could get to um, the shuttle that was going to take me back to Hopkinton, where my family was. So I got onto that shuttle, and I'm, I'm thinking it was probably around 2.30, maybe a bit before when we finally left. And as you know, as I shared earlier, at 2.49, we had the two blasts of the bombs that were placed near the finish line in on Boylston Street. So as a result, I was not even aware that that had taken place. I remember uh, getting off of the shuttle, finding my family, and we decided, which is not a good idea, when you've run a marathon, you don't jump into a vehicle and drive for six hours, but again, you live and learn. <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, uh, we got into our vehicle, and as we got onto the Massachusetts Turnpike to head home, all of a sudden, there were numbers of cruisers flying by, and I remember remarking to my wife saying, you know, I, I wonder if maybe there was a big drug bust, right? Because, like, you don't think bombing, right? <laughs> and so we continued driving, and we decided uh, to stop about two hours later to grab something to eat, and as we went into this food court in uh, in a mall, uh, you know, I, I, I was talking to the person at the subway where we were getting some food, and I was wearing my Boston Marathon shirt, and she looked at me, and she said yeah, that's really too bad about the bombing. And I'm like, pardon me? That was the first time that I became aware that the, bo- the race had been bombed. And so at that moment, we discovered and we learned what had happened. My wife went to turn on her cell phone and it just, <laughs> I mean, so many people were already asking, you know, trying to determine if we were okay. Uh, we hadn't really shared with people uh, what our plans were for the finish line. So uh, a lot of people were jumping to the worst possible conclusions. And uh, so that was uh, a quite, uh, quite an experience for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was, that was something else. We, we stopped later that night at a hotel and they were so gracious. They turned off all of their televisions because, of course, that was all that was uh, streaming through the news uh, for the rest of that day for a number of days to come. Uh, just to, you know, protect our children. Uh, we tried to protect them just from the reality of what had happened that day, at least initially. Now they're fully aware of that. Um, but it was interesting because it went from this time, like I shared, when I finished that race, this place of elation, of, of uh, you know, finally uh, being successful in accomplishing this, this dream that I had had to now going to a place where I struggled to even celebrate. Uh, I learned that an eight-year-old had passed away that day. My youngest daughter was eight. Um, You know, that was really hard for me, and it took me a a number of weeks to kind of settle in with where I was going to and how I was going to process this race. Again, that day was uh, very tragic for so many people, and I don't want to make light of that. But I also know that a terrorist, their desire is to ruin and destroy. And uh, so I, you know, I still celebrate the accomplishment. I'm, I'm very thankful for that opportunity. And I actually went back to Boston in 2018 because uh, I was hoping to have a better experience. Mind you, that was the year that the nor'easter blew in and we ran into 35 kilometer hour headwinds the whole way. Wouldn't recommend that either. <laughs> But, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it, you know, quite an experience for sure. But, you know, as, as I finish, um, you know, I don't know necessarily where you are uh, presently, uh, you know, what you're uh, dealing with at this point. Um, but you know, I just really sensed in my heart that God wanted to encourage you. Maybe you're in a place similar to what I was on that Monday when I was starting my retreat where I was like, you know, I'm really weary. I'm really tired. God, I I just feel like I'm lacking that zeal you know, where I was thudding. You know, I'd had a number of disappointments. We've had a lot of disappointments recently. Maybe that's been your primary focus and what you've discovered is now, you know, things that would bring you joy. You're just feeling kind of blah. Sometimes that's the best way way to describe it. Uh, I really feel that God would speak a word of encouragement and would call you close to himself. We talked about encountering Jesus last week and one of the things I also want to highlight Um, You know, and we talked about confession and the power that there is in that. Maybe you've been battling something all alone. You've been dealing with something all by yourself. And I want to challenge you like I did the last time I spoke to you. I have found it personally to be so powerful in confessing, in sharing with people when I'm going through difficult times. It has completely revolutionized my life. It has brought so much uh, balance to me. I'm, I'm mentally and emotionally so much more healthy than I've ever been in my life because of that specific thing. But 1 Samuel uh, 23 verse 16, it talks about David going through a difficult time when so Saul was chasing him, trying to take his life. And there's something that I I picked up out of there. It says that Jonathan, Jonathan helped David find strength in the Lord. Later on, we see in in chapter 30, David strengthened himself in the Lord. But the reality is, is God has called us to be part of a body. If you are struggling, if you're in a difficult place... If you find yourself, you know, just really struggling and, you know, again, think of that scripture. Neither the present nor the future can separate us. The realities of your life right now cannot separate you from the love of God. But I encourage you because I've been walking it out myself personally. Would you reach out to someone? Would you reach out? Would you have, you know, is there someone in your life that's like a Jonathan to you? that they can help you find strength in the Lord in this season. I want to finish off with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this special time to be with my brothers and sisters at KZMC. Lord, I bless them. I thank you for their congregation. I thank you, Lord, that you have placed them in these communities, Lord God, to be a light for you. And Lord, we know you've told us in scripture that, that you know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, you have come that we would have life to the fold, abundant life. And Lord, if there's anyone listening right now, Father, that is not experiencing that abundance, and they've been thudding, and they've been focused on the things that they can't have, or the things that they wish they could have, or the disappointments that they, that they have experienced. God, I pray that this would be a day of victory. It would be a day of releasing. It would be a day of freedom. I thank you, Father, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, Holy Spirit of God, would you fall afresh on my brothers and sisters Lord, I thank you that you have called us to this race and we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Thank you, Jesus, that you kept moving forward to Calvary. You knew what it was going to cost you and yet you did not look to the left or the right. Lord, you call us likewise to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow after you. Lord, I thank you that as we do that, God, we can bring comfort to others. The comfort you have given to us, we can bring comfort to other people in similar circumstances. So that I can say that, Lord, every difficulty, every disappointment, every pain, every hurt in my life, Lord, you have redeemed those. And Lord, those are the things now that you use to, as I minister to people who are struggling, who are hurting, who have lost, who have lost hope, who are discouraged. So Lord, I bless these dear brothers and sisters. Lord, today as they hear your voice, may they not harden their heart. Lord, if as you have brought a Jonathan to their mind, someone that they could turn to, if they are struggling, Lord, I pray that they would do that and they would do it now. Lord, I give you praise for what you will accomplish, Lord, because, God, all of this has been done in faith. Lord, thank you that you take what we offer in faith. And, Lord, you work (laughs) and you move, Lord. And so we give you praise for what you're going to accomplish. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So I just want to say thank you so much. This has been an incredible honor to minister with you. And I know Pastor Ryan has mentioned uh, to maybe come out sometime in the future and actually do some ministry face-to-face, which I would really, really enjoy. So God bless you. Amen.